I've got a great message for you today. It's Easter Day. This is the biggest celebration in the Easter in, in the Christian calendar. You know, this is when Jesus gets up. He gets up, yes, he wins, and he positions us to win in life. This is the this is the life-changing moment for all of humanity and the world. Jesus gets up, he's a game changer. So we should be celebrating today. I hope you're celebrating today. What an awesome, awesome event we get to partake in. And it affects all of our lives today. So my message for you today, I call Furious Love. Those of you who tuned in last week um, will know that I did a message called Furious Rest. And I paired these two words that don't really belong together. But I'm looking at the idea of furious, not as sort of anger and violence and these kind of words that are associated with furious. But it can also mean unrestrained in terms of let it all out. You know, I'm going to let all of this out. And we applied that to rest last week, and I thank you for your feedback. And please keep giving us the feedback. So encouraging to know that we're playing our part in your life and your situation. And so today I want to do the same thing and apply it to love, this idea of furious love, unrestrained, let it all out kind of love. And in this kind of love, it compels a response. It compels action. It compels a, a physical declaration or demonstration. It's not just a feeling. It requires a, 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 a reaction to erupt out of you. The, the depth of the feeling, the depth of the emotion, the depth of the love has to come out. It's unrestrained. It's furious love. I met my wife, Sarah, oh, about 23 years ago now, 22, 23 years ago. And uh, I remember it clear as today. We celebrate our 20 year anniversary in June this year. And uh, she's awesome, my wife. And when I first met her, I looked at her and between me, you and the gay post, I proper fancied her. She's awesome, beautiful girl. I looked at her and thought, oh yes. Yes, like what I'm seeing. And, and, and you, you, we went on a couple of dates, you know, I played some moves out and smoothed my way in there. And she agreed to go on a date with me and we had a date and that went well and a second and a third date. And during the course of time and particularly during the course of months and going into years, the relationship shifts to another level of love. It goes way beyond kind of the gooey feeling of I fancy you into a deep rooted feeling of I love you. And not just love that, oh, I say it because it's the right thing to say, but a depth of feeling that has to come out. It's this, it's this furious love. And so I live a lifestyle in our marriage context now where I do my very best to love Sarah, to, to demonstrate it, to help her out around the house, to, to make her feel good, to make her smile, to support her. And here's one to protect her. You know, I feel like I'm a decent guy. Those of you who know me, I hope you'd say the same thing. But I tell you what, you wound my wife, you stand up against my wife, there's a, a, an indignant love that would stand alongside her. And I'd say, back off, because I love her. And part of my furious love for her, the unrestrained, let it all out kind of love, is going to protect my wife because she's important to me. And so it lets itself out. So this whole idea of furious love is more than just a feeling, but an, an indignant, unrestrained demonstration of I'm in this with you and I'm going to show it. I believe everyone wants to experience that kind of love. More than just an I love you, which can come across in a romantic relationship. But this furious love can be in, in platonic relationships too. It's the whole idea of show me. 
You can show that you love someone in a non-romantic relationship just as well as you can show someone you love them in a romantic relationship. It's more than just this token gesture stuff. It's the depth of feeling that has to come out of you. It's unrestrained. It's this whole idea that I don't want you to go through life and not know not deeply know that I love you. And when people deeply know, you have to show it. Otherwise, how are they gonna know? I remember some years ago, and you're probably familiar with it, that Beyonce sang that song, you know, um, put a ring on it. No, oh, 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 If you like it, you gotta put a ring on it. You know the song, I'm not gonna sing it to you. But the, the essence and the meaning behind that song is actually relating to this idea of furious love. You know, the idea of Beyonce saying, stop telling me you love me, stop flirting with me, stop trying to have your way with me, show me, put a ring on me then, give me some commitment, because furious love takes commitment. And I just know there's so many, if I can use the word players, there's so many players out there, and they're ultimately just messing with people's hearts. You may have experienced that, you may be doing that. But my my goal here is to get beyond that. It's not okay to mess with people's hearts. And it's not okay to allow people to mess with your heart. See, the whole idea of put a ring on it says, show me you love me. Give me the commitment. Stand with me. Don't mess with me and laugh at me because I'm worth more than that. And furious love ultimately shows you your value. It shows you how much you're worth to someone and how important you are because they're willing to demonstrate it through action consistently and with commitment. And everyone wants to experience that. I hope you experience that and I hope you're demonstrating that to someone. So this is this idea of furious and love being paired together. It's letting it out, it's demonstrating it. It's the whole idea of working together. And so furious love is really represented well in the marriage context. I've talked about this in church several times recently, and because we're getting a wider audience, I think it's worth referring to again that in Ephesians 5, you'll find this uh, context of marriage and teaching on marriage, biblically speaking, and it's not popular today. But it says this, in Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. And in today's culture, all the women are like, well, hang on a minute, well, steady. But then it says this straight afterwards, and husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Well, Christ died for the church. And so in the marriage context, the husband is challenged to love his wife in a way that he's prepared to lay his life down for her. He's prepared to die to himself in order to lift her up. That could mean, men, you laying your dream down and making your wife's dream more important than yours. So you're saying, it's not about me. I'm gonna love you like Christ. And so I'm going to bow down, I'm going to, I'm going to lay myself down in order to lift you up. And then the woman's response is easy. Because the Bible is challenging women to submit to your husband. But how easy is it to submit to someone who loves you like that? Someone who's saying, you are so important, I'm going to show you what you're worth to me. I'm going to let it out in an unrestrained way. I'm prepared to lay down my hopes and dreams, the things I want to do in order to make you more important. And a great response women then is to say, wow, I feel so loved. I feel important. But you know what? I love you. And actually, it's not about me. I want you to have your dreams. I want you. So I'm prepared to lay down my dreams in order to lift you up. 
And I'm prepared to submit to your headship and your lead because I know that I am heard, I know how worthy I am, and I feel valued and loved. I can feel it, you're showing me. And so you get this picture in marriage of a husband bending down to lift his wife up, and a wife bending down to lift her husband up, and both are getting lifted up. You see, the world looks at submission in terms of someone pushing someone down. But when you understand the biblical context, is no one's getting pushed down. In fact, two people are getting lifted up. And right there is two people walking hand in hand in unrestrained love. It's win, win. Everyone wins. I love this in Jesus speaking here in, in John chapter 15 and verse 13. This is Jesus saying this. It says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You see, what love does is it makes the other person more important than you. Furious love is prepared to lay down in order to lift you up. It's that unrestrained declaration that it's not okay that you struggle and yet I have the ability to make the difference. It's not okay you go through life wrestling with stuff and yet I could step in and help. It's unrestrained. I have to act. I can't watch it and not do something about it. It's this furious love that propels itself out of me because you're worth it and you're valuable and I need you to know that I have to show. Did you know that there are more slaves on the planet today than in the history of the world? It's something we've done as churches, we've looked into this stuff and there's sex slavery and there's child trafficking and there's forced labour and this is happening all over the world. Millions and millions and tens of millions of people are living this life. And do you know what? It's not okay. And so what we do as a church, as a furious love response to that, as an action to that, is we support a group called IJM, they're called International Justice Mission. And what they are is ultimately they're a, they're a group of lawyers who've got together and, and formed a team, and it's very large now, it goes all over the world, and they go into places where, where people are being trafficked, where labour is being forced, where people are in slavery and being abused, and the law isn't being upheld. Either the law is corrupt, the police are corrupt, or it just doesn't exist in any proper form. And they go in with their legal skills, not just to try and make a difference, but to go in and force the law. And what they're able to do then is able to release particularly these children who are, who are sex trafficked. It's just not okay. And it's happening. And they go in and they set them free because they're able to prosecute the perpetrator and get that person in jail. That releases the child out of the sex trafficking ring and then they have aftercare. And we've seen story after story after story of young people coming out and getting healed up and finding their worth and being given skills to go on and make a life for themselves. And the perpetrator being put in jail stops other people or dissuades other people from doing the same thing. So the cycle stops because they don't want to end up in jail. And so this is a way that we as a church act in furious love. Of the, the offerings that we take in church, we tie those offerings and we give them to charities. And one of the charities we support here, so we fund these missions and we pray into these missions that these guys and girls that go out there are protected, have open doors and favour, and then success after success after success, of young people being freed from horrendous lives. Why? Because it's not okay. And we have the ability to make a difference and it erupts out of us. So we fund it and we pray for it. And do you know what? We may never meet 
the young people that we've helped to set free from this stuff. But you know what? There's a physical response to our love and it has to make a difference. There'll be men and women growing up today that we've helped, we don't know them, but their life's different. Why? Because there's a furious love in the church that is pouring out, saying, we're indignant about this. It's not okay. We have to step in. So if you've ever given to IJM, prayed for IJM, give yourself a pat on the back right now. Come on, church. We're making a difference. And it comes under this banner of furious love. It has to get out of us. So, so good. This, uh, this furious love is what we ultimately find in God. See, God is love. God's not good at doing love. God's not good at loving. God is love. And what we find, particularly this time in Easter, so, so great, is that we find the declaration that God made as our loving Father. And we find it here in John 3, uh, verses 16 and 17, probably the most famous verses in the Bible. And I love to keep pointing us here. One of my goals in this season, especially as we locked in, is to keep pointing you to Jesus. John 3, 16 and 17 says this, For God so loved the world. See, there's his motivation, his furious love. He so loved the world that he had to act. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Can you see God's furious love motivation there? He's looked down at humanity, at people like me and you, who he deeply loves. And he can't stand back and watch. He can't stand back and watch people living life in despair and living life with anxiety and living life lonely and with lack and and with addictions and with the depravity that we're stuck in and people being rejected and hurting and struggling. God looks at this and says, it's not okay. And he doesn't stay up in heaven going, oh, I hope they get through it from a distance. No, 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 no. He was compelled to step in. He sent his son. And look what happens when unrestrained love steps in. He didn't send Jesus to condemn us. I'm sure so many people who are unfamiliar with the Father feel like God's up in heaven waving his finger telling us how bad we are. That's just not true. He sent Jesus not to condemn us, but to save us, to set us free from the struggle, to set us free from the things that are holding us back, to set us free from the hurt and the sickness and the death and all the things that are around us. He says, it's not okay. I'm stepping into your world. In Luke 4, Jesus himself, as he begins his mission, he, he, he makes his declaration. This is what I'm here for. And he says, I'm here to set people free who are bound up in life. I'm here to open people's eyes. I'm here to break the oppression off of people and set them free. And I'm here to position people in the favour of God. And what better way to do life than with the favour of God in and around you. God opening doors that you couldn't have opened yourselves. Just the favour of heaven resting on you. Jesus came for that. Not to wave a finger at anyone, but to position us in relationship with the Father where favour can come and freedom from issues of life can happen. It leads us to the best life. It's win-win. But you know what? Furious love costs. It costs, if you're going to act, it costs you something. It costs your time, it costs your energy, it creates sacrifice. And it's true for Jesus too. And especially looking at this Easter period, we just had Good Friday, and I want to read you the words of Jesus as he approached this time. Now, you need to picture the scene. Jesus is fully a man. 
and yet fully good at the same time. He knows what's coming his way. He knows what he faces. And he's like, wow, this is going to be tough because I'm a person. And he goes to his father and he prays his prayer. And we find it in Luke 22, verses 42 to 44. Listen to Jesus speaking. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In other words, is there another way that I don't have to go through this? Take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You know, Jesus showing how much it's costing him right now. How anxious do you need to be before your blood, your sweat becomes blood? He look, knows what's ahead of him. But look at, his, look at his furious love welling up in him. But it's not about me. It's about you, your will, Father. I know I need to go through this in order to set humanity free. You see, he laid himself down to the very people he came to save. What a dilemma. Can you even picture you going through that? You know, he was beaten. He was whipped. His beard was plucked out. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He was nailed to a cross. His blood was flowing. And do you know what? His blood cries out to his father. Can you even imagine your child bleeding in front of you? It would do something on the inside of you. And Jesus' blood cries out to the father and says, forgive these people, position them back. I'm paying the price on their behalf. And the father says, yes. And then Jesus makes this exclamation that changes everything. It is finished. Everything that could come at you in life now has been dealt with at the cross. But here's the thing. Freedom is for everyone. Jesus came and chose you and chose me. He chose all of it, all of us. The question is, do we choose him? You see, it requires a response to walk in this freedom, to be set free from the stuff, to have the favour of God. It's a choice. I accept that, Jesus, or I don't. And Jesus loves you enough to respect your decision, but he laid his life down for everyone in order to set us up for the best life, to position us in relationship with the Father and to set us on, a, on an eternal destiny. So, so, so good. But here's where it gets better. On Easter Sunday, we celebrate this moment. Death could not hold a sinless man. Perfect and furious love overcame death. He gets back up, yes, Get in there. Jesus gets up. In your face, Satan, I say. He gets back up. The world cannot be the same. See, here's the thing. Our bodies will die. It's inevitable. We age. We pass on. But they are only the housing of our true selves. Our spirit and our soul are, are what comes out of, of this, this body. And our soul goes on to live with Jesus. You see, as for me, I choose Jesus. My future is secure in Jesus. My body will die one day and people will be sad about that. But don't be sad for me because my future is secure in Jesus. The essence of who I am, my soul will go on. Why? Because Jesus gets back up and he says, I'm throwing the doors open to you, Barry. You are welcome. And you know what? People wrestle with this kind of stuff and I don't make it my, my major to do apologetics and debate, but I appreciate there's a place for that. But there's so much compelling evidence 
for Jesus getting back up. You know, this two-ton stone was rolled back. That all by itself, could me or you or 10 of our friends shift that? Probably not. But it was rolled back. And it was in Jerusalem, and the people of Jerusalem would have seen that. If that didn't happen, there'd have been so many voices saying, you're lying. But they didn't say that. You see, there was a Roman guard outside that tomb, and their one job was to say, protect it. We're concerned. He said he's going to get back up. We, we, we don't want, we'd be embarrassed for this to happen. Imagine today if we put the SAS outside the tomb. Do you think they're going to let anyone there? No, 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 no. They wouldn't. But here's what happened. An angel comes, rolls the stone back, and they pass out. It says they pass out as if dead. And Jesus gets up and walks out. Jesus meets with at least 500 people that we know of. He, he showed himself to people, and the testimonies people spread like wild, wildfire. If that didn't happen, those testimonies would soon be squashed. But they weren't squashed. They've actually exploded all around the world, and we're still talking about it today. So in that moment, it was proven to be true. But this is the thing I personally love most. It's the testimonies and the lives afterwards of the disciples. You see, the disciples met with Jesus. And can you imagine, there they are on Good Friday, watching their Jesus die on a cross. They must have gone through this anguish of, oh, all our hopes have been dashed. And then comes Saturday and they're waiting and thinking, oh dear. But then comes Sunday and they hear this news. The women have been to, to, to see Jesus and they say, he's not there anymore, he's got back up. And they're telling them, and then they go to a room and they meet with Jesus. And he says, I'm here. And you know what? Those same disciples who were clever people, they were businessmen. They had families and businesses around. They weren't stupid. And they met with Jesus and they experienced him. And it compelled them with this furious love to act on it. They devoted their lives to spreading the good news that Jesus gets up and is a game changer for you. Your life can be free. Your eternity can be in a great place in relationship with Jesus. And they gave themselves to it. Now, many of them were martyred. They were, wait there, some were crucified, some were slaughtered in all different kinds of ways. But they were prepared to go through that even to death because they had actually met the risen Jesus. Who in their right mind would go that far if they believed it was a lie? So the testimony of the disciples for me is just like, wow, come on, it means something. And I particularly love Thomas. Thomas is famous for being called Doubting Thomas. You see, he was a considered man, and he'd heard that Jesus had got back up, and he just didn't believe it. He said, oh, stop it, you're imagining it. You know, I watched him die. And they said, no, 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 come with us. And he said, I will only believe if I meet Jesus face to face and I'm able to put my finger in the holes in his hands. So what does Jesus do? He meets Thomas in the room, and he says, it's me, look. And Thomas puts his finger in the holes, and it was a game changer, even for doubting Thomas. And we now know that Thomas travelled to India and started the church in India, declaring the good news that there's a God in heaven who loves you, that sent his son to die for you, but death couldn't hold him. He's got back up, and it's life-changing for us now. He calls us into the best life and with hope for eternity. It's true, and I've witnessed it. And we can see today, and you can look it up, that the church in India dates back to Thomas. 
This man who met the risen Jesus, who was compelled with love to go way beyond his own, his own area and plant churches. That for me is so, so compelling. But here's the great thing, church. Here's the great thing. We now get to respond. I love this here in Colossians 3 and verse 17. And I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. It says this, Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You see, whatever we do now, we're having the opportunity to represent Jesus. I get to represent the risen Son of God. And I love that. The church, we get to represent the living Son of God. He came and stepped into my world and gave himself up to lift me up. Furious love came in and said, I'm compelled, Barry, to reach into your world and lift you up. Now I get to reflect that. Now you get to reflect that. Not just saying, I love you, but showing it. And how could we get creative, church? Could you get creative? How could you reflect this furious love? How could you reflect this love that stepped out of heaven into someone else's world to lift them up? Could you get out of your comfort zone and step into someone else's life in order to lift them up? Why? Because it represents Jesus. It's love in action. It's love that has to be indignant enough to step out and show itself. It's furious love. And right now, in this season right now we're in, with this virus that's all over the world, what a better opportunity than to show love to someone who's desperate. There's needs all around us, and we get the opportunity to reflect Jesus. This Jesus who came with furious love to say, I love you so much, I'm prepared to lay myself down for you. But death couldn't hold him. He lives on today, and he lives on in my heart and your heart. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he says, I have all authority now. Come on church, go and take the authority. Go and take, take over the world in the best sense with love. Go and represent me well. Go and bless some people. Go and be kind to some people. Go and set some people free. Go and deliver the oppressed. Go and heal someone in my name. He's given us the authority, church. Now is the best moment we're probably gonna get in our lifetime to be Jesus to someone. So I encourage you, push yourself out there. Don't say you care for people or think about caring for people. Have that furious love that gets out of you and has to be acted on. Let's go and love some people. I wonder if you'd let me pray for you. Father God, I just thank you for all the amazing people who are tuning in right now. Awesome people who you see as valuable. You've shown how you value them by laying your very life down in order to lift them up. Lord, I pray that we could all start to be creative now on how could we reflect you to people? How could we represent you to people in a way that demonstrates love, not just in words, but in action? Lord, let us be creative as the church to reach out to the people around us. Lord, it's our desire to show people what you look like and what you look like is furious love. What you look like is the God of heaven who couldn't watch humanity suffer and stepped into our world to position us for life. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I speak a blessing on everyone right now. And maybe you've tuned in today and you don't know Jesus or you're far from Jesus. Is today the day on Easter Sunday where you say, Jesus, I want you in my world. 
I choose you. Thank you that you chose me. Now I choose you back. I want to be living this full life that you came for. It's the day of the day that you pray, a prayer that invites Jesus into your world because he's standing here willing, saying, I want to be in relationship with you, but I love you enough to let you choose. If that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer that says, I choose you, Jesus. And I can promise you with, with authority that it will change your world. So let's pray. Father God, just thank you for every amazing person that's choosing you right now. Maybe you could pray this prayer with me. You pray in your heart. Father God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you sent Jesus. Today I choose Jesus. I invite you into my world to live in my heart. I'm sorry for the things I've done that have kept me separate from you, but today I choose you. Today I choose to walk forward with you. Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you teach me? Would you open doors for me? Thank you that you love me. And all those people said, Amen. Hey, we'd love to get feedback. Thank you for everyone who's been commenting online. Thank you for everyone who's reached out to us. It's just so good to, to hear your testimonies, to see the difference that we're making in people's lives. And if you prayed that prayer, please get in touch with us because we want to support you. So uh, this is Pastor Barry. Check it out. Have an awesome Easter Sunday. Look out for someone, love someone, but God bless you and your home.